Welcome to Game of Life with Dan and Harmon. This is pretty exciting for us because we've got our first doctor on the show. Wow. She's a psychologist, yeah. a keynote speaker, and a um, well, just a sort of consultant in sort of getting people ready to become leaders, I suppose. Wow. Mm. Dr. Kelly Windle, welcome to the show. Morning, guys. Welcome Thanks for show. having me. And then let's sort of give you, why don't you describe what you do? Sure. To, to a couple of dummies who, who, who <laughs> yeah. Know, yeah. Cool. I, uh, I speak with, with leaders and organisations mm. um, about becoming future ready and why that's important and what happens when we don't. Well, why should one become future ready then? Because, so my biggest answer to that is, is because you don't, you will become really, really sick. Mm. Um, and that's actually what drives me mm -hmm. to work with organisations because I think they're making people sick right now. What do you mean by sick? What defines sick? Um, an absence of health and, or an absence of well-being, right? Mm. So there's a lot of, you know, I think every other leader I'm talking to at the moment is, oh, I feel so burnt out. Mm. I'm so tired. We're so exhausted. Mm -hmm. And you, you see that reflected in society, right? Mm. And workplaces are such a feature of our world and, and mm. the environment that we go into nine to five, mm. or quotation marks around nine to five, Monday to Friday for most people. Um, it has a massive, massive impact on their overall um, well-being mm. and their their social and their psychological mm. health and their ability to bring a sense of well-being to the rest of their world and to their life as well and then at a societal level for us mm. to actually see that reflected in our communities and the health of our communities and we, we have seen a very much a breakdown of that over over recent years mm. and uh, for me I I've chosen in my career to target workplaces for mm -hmm. that because I think they are in such a powerful position to to create the circumstances for people to be well or not well at the end mm. of the workday um I feel like I've detoured from a description of what is it that I do. So what I'm working with organisations on is, uh, yeah, become future ready because at the individual level it's important for me to, for people to be healthy. I'm mm. a psychologist. I was driven to, to move into that field to to serve the well-being of people around me and not and very much from an assistance perspective. I'm not there uh, to make them well. I'm there to help them help themselves mm. to be well. Yeah. And I take that philosophy across into businesses as well. So the types of problems that I'm working on with CEOs and heads of HR and heads of business units are around things like um, what what do we need to be doing to evolve the capability and the culture of our organisation to meet the future? Mm. Most workplaces are set up to serve today's problems, not tomorrow's. Mm. And we're training people and we're building careers around what we need today, not what we need next. So as that gap diverges and, and what we're moving towards and what we're having to deal mm. with separates more and more from what we currently are and mm. the lack of upskilling and closing mm. of that gap, um, that creates a lot of distress for both the system and the individual and when that distress comes into play, we see all sorts of things starting to break down um, around well-being. Back to the original question. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so in a nutshell, I help organisations become future ready, future fit. Mm. Um, in fancy corporate speak, that that is what is becoming future ready. It's um, the ability of the organisation and the individuals in mm. the organisation uh, to adapt easily and quickly to, mm. to change. In other words, to evolve rather than stay in status. Mm -hmm. Um, but how I really love to describe becoming future ready, because people often say, well, what does that mean? And my first question is normally, what does it mean to you? <laughs> like, True. what does that feel True. like to you? Yeah. But if somebody says, well, what does it feel like to me? You know, that feeling, have you ever had in your worlds? Mm. And I'd love to hear if mm -hmm. you have had moments of this, 
where you know you're doing something something's coming towards you You might know what it is you might not know what it is but Mm -hmm. what mostly we don't know what's coming towards Mm -hmm. us we like to delude ourselves that we do but normally things kind of you know we don't have crystal balls right but you know that feeling in your your life that you've had brief glimpses and moments Mm. of where you go i've got this yeah 100% 100% I've got this. I don't even know what this is, but I have got this. Mm. And not only have I got this, I own this. Mm. And most people only have a few moments in their worlds mm. where they can point to those moments. That's when you were future ready. Optimal. Wow. Right? I like that. I like that. Yeah. How, how do you grasp onto those opportunities when they come though? Yeah. So how do you become ready yeah. for yeah, those exactly. opportunities? Yeah. And this is what we don't do particularly well in the world of work mm. right now. Right? Yeah. We don't prepare people to have that feeling when things change on them Mm -hmm. we prepare them to go into panic when things change on them going i'm not Mm. gonna have this Mm. i don't own this this Mm. is being done to me oh my god what am i doing with my career and my life and then we spiral from there yeah um so at a a mass level in a a company we go we've got a new strategy we've got Mm. a new competitor we've got a new change program rolling out yeah and to have your people react with i don't have this yeah versus yeah we got this I feel the difference, I th- right? I think often that we as human beings catastrophize totally. in, yeah, in, instead of seeing the full picture before yeah. it's laid out to yeah. us. Yeah. And also yeah. for individuals to be in those situations, you have to be doing things because if you're not doing things and if you're not going out of your comfort zone, then those opportunities may never come to you and you would never feel that way. Yeah. So how does one optimize? Yeah. I think you, I was reading your, um, your about in your bio and it said you have three decades of experience in, uh, in all of what you're doing right now. Yeah. Do you see any patterns like reoccurring patterns in people um, that you work with? And also a question, do you work with just organizations or individuals as well? Uh, both. Uh, most of my attention is on working with, um, I, I call them systems of mm, humans, yeah, right? So, uh, so the answer is yes. Mm. Most in practice, a lot of the time it's working with organisations to help them manage that at a group level. And then within that, I'm working with individuals within that. And then I have people who will mm. sometimes engage me outside just one-on-one as well. Um, and yeah, it's, the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just depends what people are after. What were those reoccurring patterns that you see that holding people back from, you know, getting their 100%, you know, people who can perform at their maximum level? Mm-hmm. What are those re- reoccurring patterns? Uh, absolutely. It's the psycholo- psychological state that they're in. Mm-hmm. And it is for me um, the difference between a default reactive state mm-hmm. that people hold mm-hmm. around I have to react to these opportunities, I have to react to what's coming. I have to react to what mm. my manager wants. I have to react to what an interview questioner mm. is asking me. I have, to, I have to react. You've got that at one end of the scale. And at the other end of the scale, you've got ready. Mm. And again, that readiness is, yeah, I, I can I can step into that before mm. it's even hitting here. Like often the people who are demonstrating the most future ready um, behaviour and mm-hmm. psychology, uh, particularly at a leadership level, are those that to others, they look like they're not waiting. Mm. They're how did you know that was, you're already across that. Like, wow, mm. how did you get there? And it's not that they're not, they're, there's a level of um, proactivity. So mm. when you're in this reactive state, yeah. everything 
everything feels reactive and we have to move from that to an active state mm. first. So people just go, you can't go from reactive to proactive. There's mm. a, that middle step of you have to learn how to become active first. So reactive, you're very passive, mm. particularly in a career or a right. work sense. You're very passive. I will wait for opportunities to come to me. I will wait for my company to tell me what program I should go to. Mm. I will wait for my university to dictate what subjects I need to learn about. I'll wait. I'll be guided. Mm. It's very passenger mm. based. It's like, do you want to be a passenger? Or do you want to actually pilot your own career and your mm. own work experience? And that requires you to become active. And then it actually that next step to get fully future ready blown. So active is often around the present. So I'll mm. become really present now. So I talk with a lot mm. of leaders and I go, you're not learning. They go, I learn all the time. I'm like, okay, tell me what right. you're learning. And I say, and why are you learning this? Oh, I'm learning that because I've got this problem at the moment. It's going to help me solve it. I'm learning that because that's what everyone else is learning. At the moment. I'm learning that because they put me on this course. Mm. I go, passive, mm. passive, passive, reactive. What are you doing to learn for the future? Mm. You need to learn fast, frequently and furiously for the future, mm. not just reacting to what I need to learn for today. So there's one, yeah. one trend that I see coming through is the leaders who learn. Mm. The other um, in today's world is uh, to, in, in more and more in today's world post-COVID, but this existed before, the people who are, again, demonstrating that, that I've got this and that mm. confidence and they're generating that in their teams and their workplaces and their cultures, they have a real focus on connection and not just human-to-human -human connection. Mm -hmm. That's a very important part. But what they're connecting is people to priorities to purpose. So everything that they're doing is related to what's the purpose. Now, purpose is very future-focused. Mm. It's not the, a, a purpose of oh, I need to make money and meet my KPI. That's not a purpose, right? Mm. That's mm. a KPI. It's a mm -hmm. goal for today. Yeah. But if we flick that to, okay, take me out of the present, what's the future? Well, our purpose for doing this True. is we end up here. Mm. In right. That's a goal, not a vision. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So how do you connect people and how do you connect priorities to that future mm. rather than present is, a, is another thing that we start to come through. And when we're doing that well, connection connections often talked about as a future-ready skill set for leaders. And it's for me, I often describe it to leaders as communication skills, they're outdated now. We don't train leaders in communication anymore. We need mm. to train them in connection. And connection is the active demonstration of care. Mm. Care enough to connect, not just communicate. Mm and connect the people that you're talking to to a purpose, something meaningful, right? So we come back to my, when, why do I do what I do? It comes back to well-being. We are most well as humans mm. when we are contributing to something meaningful mm. and when we are connected in with others contributing to something shared. And that's that's probably the third. So I'm talking about learning. You've got to learn. You've got to connect. Uh, and for me, the third part of the puzzle to becoming future ready is, and you have to share. Mm. And this is very much a, a human psychology, we're tribal creatures, right? We, mm. we respond right. and we are better mm. when we are with others. Mm. We are also most unhealthy when we're with others dysfunctionally. Yeah. Mm, right. You're actually more healthy alone um, than you are in a dysfunctional group mm. a lot of the time, yes. particularly long term mm. and the ramifications that can stay with you. So a lot of what we do when we're trying to help people become ready or we're helping them to become well is we're looking at how do we build their resources, uh, their resources to be able to adapt quickly and readily to mm. anything that comes at them to go, not only do I have this, I own this, because I know I can yank all this in to support me with mm. this. It's it's kind of like it's a team sport, right? Like how mm. do you, you don't stand on a, a tennis or an netball court or whatever sport you play and, and go, yep, I've got this. I'm not sure about the rest of my teammates, but mm. oh, I've got this. Like you just don't do that. It's how do you mm. get to that we. So sharing is very much... Sharing is about a shared commitment to the future. Mm. 
and a shared accountability for the future, not just for what we're working on today. So again, if you can start to think as a leader or a human with your own work is what am I doing to actually contribute to something meaningful Mm, in a truly collaborative way? We don't do collaboration very well at work Mm. anymore. Collaboration's normally just, um, we're, we're very big on inclusive. You know, we have to include diversity and inclusion. So we're kind of substituting inclusion for collaboration. So if you've been invited to this meeting, Harmon, Mm -hmm. I've included you, therefore we've collaborated. Mm. Not so much. Mm. Like what have we actually collaborated on? Mm. So kind of missing the boat a little. And so for me, I talk with with leaders and groups around, you know, think about what you mean when you say collaboration because you're actually just loading people up with extra meetings Mm. as opposed to getting really clear on what is it we're trying to achieve together and how do we share that to play our own roles in that, come together when we need, come out. But what are we working on again in a shared accountability way to the future? And that's, that's a big difference. We train trained leaders on directing and telling people we need to be training them on facilitating collaboration. That's yeah. a critical, critical piece to future right. work. Mm. I'm talking so much. What resonates mm. with you? I would love to hear your moments <laughs> of when you've gone, I've got this at you know work. The, oh, um, I think when we started this podcast, um, Dan and few very kind guests were like, oh, you're really good at this. And um, that sort of gives you some motivation or some sort of inkling that, okay, maybe we can it, take this yes. further. Um, but yeah. before that happened, um, there's always, I've always had that weird, you could call it arrogance or maybe confidence, but it's like if anything difficult or anything I see that is out of the norm that I can, I always, I'm a big fan of pushing my limits. It's like, yeah, I can do this. Yeah, yeah I'll be, I'll be good at this. So when mm. Dan said and wanted to start the podcast, I was like, yeah, sure, let's do it. And if you get caught up in that um, rabbit hole of um, breaking things down, usually overthinkers do do that. Mm. Um, they get into that rabbit hole of, um, you know, splitting up all the scenarios and like okay i can't do this maybe i can do this maybe i can do this if you just go into it and start doing it you will figure it eventually and as dan said to me when we started that no one's perfect um out of the gate but we're pretty good and i thought i could do this maybe that was something uh, that resonated but while you were saying what you just said now something struck with me an old expression that says if you want to go fast you go by yourself but if Mm -hmm. you want to go far you go together yeah so I think that's what a leader should do. So can you explain to me what, well, you've worked with so many of them. What What is a leader or what is a good leader? Mm. What What makes a good leader? What makes a good leader? Yeah, yeah true. Well, you guys have followed leaders. You're leaders yourselves. Mm. What would you, like, give me three characteristics of a good leader in your own experience. Um, someone who can um, inflict emotions in people, who can bring out emotions in people. Um, if... Like if I want someone to, like if I have a bigger purpose and if I can find people and, you know, bring emotions out of them, okay, this is a bigger purpose and I want you to join me with this journey that we're going to get here. I think that's a very good quality of a leader. And I think the biggest quality of a leader is empathy. Mm. You need to have empathy. If you can put yourself in someone else's shoe and then realize, okay, he's, this is what he's going through. And, you know, okay, I can alter what I'm telling him or I can alter my thoughts. And I think that's the second thing. I think it's very important that a leader or knowing that your leader has your back as well. Mm. That's a very Like big someone that will look out for trust. you as well. Trust. Yeah. Trust, yeah. Mm. trust. Yeah. So I think those are the three. Yeah. Um, I would say. What do you think? 
I couldn't agree more. You're talking to what I would bucket as uh, connection skills, mm. right? So to connect well as a leader, mm. you need empathy. You need accessibility and the ability to provide um, inspiration. And when I say accessibility, it's not me accessing your time. You as the leader sure. need to help others access their inspiration and their purpose. Mm. And you need to be available for them to use you to do that. Um, and... Um, yeah, I, th- I think that that connection skill set then creates the level of trust that mm. you, you know, that comes mm. through when you say, you know, somebody who's got my back, mm-hmm. which is really interesting, right? Because leaders are out front and yet we want them to stand behind us and mm. have our back. Mm-hmm. And it's the biggest shift that we see from traditional management style leadership mm. to the future of leadership. So there's, there's four, from a research perspective in, a, in the future of workspace, um, there's there's been a big shift in in the skills that are going to be most valued in leaders, mm. and the skills therefore that we need to we're not yet at the rate we need to, but we do need to be training leaders in and retraining leaders, and it requires them to unlearn a lot of these traditional, you know, to yeah. be a leader I have to set vision and I have to manage my, um, you know, commercials and I have to do all these things that I'm expected to and I have to tell 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 yeah. tell mm. right? and an image of what a leader what leader should be that they have yes and you know to be a better one that there's there's a different what you and you can be and tailor to what you are and your purposes yes yeah Mm. and we don't we don't teach people how to do that very well. So if I look at all the research that points to what is going to be most valuable you know, from a leadership perspective and what is go- not just what is going to be most valuable to that leader as a skill to be a good leader, but what is most valued by others about leaders, mm. uh, there's, there's four key skill sets that I would encourage everybody to invest in. Uh, the first one is complex, um, complex problem solving. Oh, so yes. The problems that leaders deal with now are far more complex than they were 20 years back. Part of that's pace of technology. Part of that's industrial revolutions. Part of that is um, societal shifts and the expectations of younger generations coming through the workplace. Part of that is we've just been through COVID and leaders now expected to be mm-hmm. everything and beyond in terms of, um, you know, humans, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so there's there's a lot of complexity. And by its nature of definition, you cannot solve complex problems alone. And we traditionally taught leaders that they had to have all the answers. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult for a lot of leaders. They take on a leadership role. Oh, I'm a leader now. I need to have all the answers or I'll be fired because that's not mm. a leader. It's like, well, actually, no. Now as a leader, the types of skills you need are how do you bring the people together, inspire them, mm. find the empathy, find the trust, and they've got the back so that you're solving it all together. It's a very different way of approaching that from a, from a leadership mm. perspective. So there's this one big bucket around complex problem solving that is a massive, massive skill that that we know is is you know the top skill that we you need to be hiring mm. for in leaders. Second bucket of skill is around creativity. So creativity was never on the list of leadership skills mm. and future skills mm. that we need at work, and it's it's been steady at number three uh, for the last in the, in the World Economic Forum's mm. research in this space. If anybody wants to check that out, it's worth reading, or just if you're a geek like me. Pass the time on a Saturday morning, um, <laughs> or you can just take my word for it. Creativity is up there yeah. as a strong skill set. Now, again, we're very good at discouraging creativity. Right mm. around the age of right. six, we start discouraging creativity. Mm. Stop playing. You do it like this. Color in the lines, please. Like mm. we, we are subtly mm. wiping out creativity. Yes. The older people get. So by the time they get to work, 
and, and university and yeah. particularly workplace, we're going, oh, no, no, this is the process. You need yeah. to learn the process. We're just inducting you now. This is our onboarding. So my onboarding is stripping you of even more creativity yeah. coming in. Yes. We're, we're set right. up to treat people as machines still. Yeah, that cookie-cutter mindset. 100%. And Neil deGrasse Tyson said this, guys. He said, you know when kids are young and they're playing around and imagine if a kid comes around your living room and he breaks a table, uh, breaks a glass and you stop him, you, you interrupt him or you scold him. He said that kid then tried an experiment and you stopped him there and then and now the next time he'd be afraid to do that yeah and that's so true what you're saying right now yeah one of the most common complaints i'm hearing from from leaders and from just people at work at the moment is um around culture Mm. and one of the words they use is fear we have a fear-based culture. We have a failure-based culture. Nobody's prepared to experiment. Everyone's wanting innovation. They're wanting collaboration. They want all of this. Oh, but we're too scared to. And we, we see leaders are just freezing right now. They're not doing anything. They're too scared to do anything, so they do nothing. And it's, it's really damaging. Whereas if we really invest in this creativity and we reward that and we start to think differently around how we're enabling that to come through at work and how we're bringing that into our own careers, uh, the I mean, when we do that well, the ability that gives you to differentiate mm. yourself or your business mm. at work is amazing. The, the results that you start to get. And then from a well-being perspective, the more we play, the healthier we are. Mm. It's, it's, it's like this human thing. And so we kind of, we raise our kids and then we raise our employees to be unhealthy because we're saying, no, don't play. Please mm. just follow this process mm. and this will lead you to you know, standard performance. Who wants standard, right? I want something awesome, not mm. just standard operating procedure. Like well, who wants to be standard in today's world? Well, you're just another number, exactly. I suppose. You are. You feel that way as an employee all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just another number. Yeah, which no empathy yeah. there, right? Yeah. So creativity is really important as a skill set. So we've got complex problem solving, we've got creativity. Mm. Uh, the next bucket we look at is collaboration. Mm. And for leaders, um, a lot of leaders kind of go, oh, yeah, I bring people together all the time. I'm like, that's not facilitating collaboration. Mm. You bring leaders together. I often see leaders bring bring my team together mm. and then they sit there and talk at them. I'm like, this is not no, collaboration. How, how do we solve this problem together? Yeah. yeah. What are you doing as the leader to help them think really well together, to you, help them build yeah. a future Do together? you have any ideas? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And bringing that out. And yeah. that requires you, again, as the leader, to step away from your need to tell. Mm. And from your own ego and insecurity or outdated mindset of leadership of what is good leadership is not bringing that team together and getting them thinking, yeah, you've got them. It's Mm. no, it's you bring them together and getting them to thinking, yeah, I've got this, we've got this together, Mm. not just my leader's got this. Mm. So collaboration and um, I use a term a lot with with leaders at the moment around collaborative facilitation. Mm. What are you doing to enable collaborative facilitation? How do you start thinking of yourself as a facilitator of collaboration, not a leader of a team? Mm. It's really interesting. I do this experiment sometimes with leaders. I say, tell me about your team. Who's your team? Mm. And Mm. they start talking about their direct reports. Right. (laughs) Your number one team in the workplace is your peers. Mm. We do not leverage our peer ability to think and build with each other. And then we complain we have silos or we have competitiveness in the workplace Mm. because the other thing with the complex problem solving... Um, we, we're stripping that down now. We can we have to replace competitiveness with collaboration. Yes, at yeah. every level, you see businesses within the same industry now need to collaborate to solve industry level problems. Mm. We see countries now needing to collaborate to solve global problems, mm. and we see that in the micro level. We need teams to collaborate to solve function or business unit problems. Like to your point before, you you, you can't do it by yourself. Mm. This mm. mindset of collaboration and the skill around that becomes so important. So we've got complex problem solving, yeah. we've got creativity, we've got collaboration. 
And then the fourth key future-ready leader skill set is connection, which mm. we've already spoken about. And for me that always comes back to a definition of um, a demonstration of care, an active demonstration of care. It gives that empathy. It gives that trust. Um, it, it builds everything up. And, again, we're not very comfortable mm. as leaders mm. yet doing that, even in this day and age. We're not. It's, it's very exposing. Mm. I had a conversation last night with a few other people who, who work in the culture space and they were we were talking about how... Um, how, how stuck a lot of leaders are at the moment. They just, they just can't and they're going, oh, it's because of this, because of this. They don't want to, you know, you know anticipating. It's, it's fear-based, right? And I said, no, I said, it's, it's actually simpler than that. They're scared to have a conversation. Mm-hmm. If I actually stand up right. there without the answers and just start with a conversation, mm-hmm. and, and I love how you guys approach this podcast because mm-hmm. it's, you know, I will, I'll get sometimes from people, oh, here's the questions you'll be asked today, mm-hmm. and I'm like, great. That's not, that's not, it's very reactive. Yeah. I will react to your questions. Y- yeah. Versus actually, you know, we might start here. Yeah. This is ultimately the purpose mm. of what we're trying to go, but hey, let's let's build that together. You never know where we end. Yeah, exactly. We're like, end up there's something so you, more there's something you may say that never occurred to us before we came yeah. here today, and yeah. you just have to listen yeah. as well. You have just to have to let the person speak yeah. and truly listen and see the person, yeah. and then a question you may yeah. never have thought of may Will appear. Uh, appear. Yeah. yeah, there's always a big difference between yeah. listening and hearing. Yeah, if you, you know, there really is, mm. and it's a it's a core part of of connection skills. And if anyone's interested in in that, actually, Oscar Tromboli is a great resource on that. He works with people on on listening, how to listen, because mm. it is it is a different skill to hearing, no. and it's a different skill to analyzing content. And that's right? where em- yeah. that's I think that's where empathy kicks in. Yeah especially in listening that's where empathy kicks in because mm. if you can't turn down your ego mm. to just listen to this other person with heart to heart conversation then i don't think you can really understand that person mm. and on connection what you said loosely or the book called um how to win friends and influence people, people. Yeah. is loosely that's what it's based on yeah. connection yeah truly connecting to people mm. dan carnegie if anyone wants to read that. oh yes dan carnegie yeah. um you said something about in the beginning um that how leaders are in front, yet people expect them to have our backs. Yeah, that that's very deep. If you if you think about it, um, how does one do that? How does one have a rapport with their peers, with their uh, yeah. you know, yeah. or with even even I think leaders have leaders. There's always a you know, um, there's always a chain of command. That there the your leader is ultimately <laughs> answering to another leader. Yeah. 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 It comes back to how you conceptualise leadership too. Like are you a leader because you've been appointed to a mm. role? Mm. Oh, are yes. you happy to accept <laughs> yeah. that yes. I'm not a leader until somebody tells me? Are you I'm truly ready to to be a, to be a leader? Yeah. yeah. Um, I encourage organisations and roles I've had in the past where I've been in a position to um, really drive this sort of thinking through a business is um, of mindset of every single person in our business is a leader of this business. Why? Because... And the most important leaders are those that are interfacing with our customers directly Why? because they are leading our customers. Uh, and that's very much a, a Richard Branson mindset. Mm-hmm. I worked for a Virgin company earlier in my career and a lot of what he uh, teaches and instills across all of his businesses is he, he doesn't care really what they bring in from the operating level but he insists on a few cultural standards and one of them is around that. Everybody in my business is a leader. You are all leading my customers. Mm-hmm. I will look after you so you can look after them. Uh, from a career perspective, mm-hmm. I often say to people, 
are you leading your career or are you waiting for others to lead it? You're waiting for your university professor to tell you what jobs you're going to go into. You're waiting for your manager to tell you what positions might be available down the track and mm. will pr- provide you with a development plan and career plan towards mm. that. Where you wait for HR to have a conversation mm. with you or are you actually prepared to lead your own career? Because it takes effort. Right? Mm. You said at the start, you know, why are, why are a lot of people reactive and passive? Mm. Well, it's a hell of a lot easier than being ready and proactive. Isn't yeah. It? But, mm. you know, we don't evolve well without a little bit of effort. And you can, and it's a conscious choice that you need to be making as a leader. Am I just going to sit here and pretend I'm a leader when I'm actually just following? Mm. Or am I actually going to get out front and shift from reactive to ready in whatever whatever application that looks like for me, for with my own career, for me, with my team, for a business, uh, even just in life? Um, there's, I mentioned earlier, and I'll say them more succinctly now to your question, well, how do you, how do, you do that? How do you shift there? You learn, you connect and you share. Those three, and you build habits around that. Mm. So I talk with people and a lot of what the culture change work we end up doing is auditing what are the cultural habits in a business? What are the existing habits around how we learn and connect and share together? Because a lot of those are keeping us reactive. Mm. And sometimes those habits really helped us at a point in time, but they no longer help us. And they've, they've dropped us. It's, it's not you don't uh, follow a process to become future ready. Now I'm future ready forever. The minute you're future ready, the next moment, it's still the future. It could change again. Mm. So becoming future ready isn't aiming to get to an end state. Mm. It's aiming to get to a practice of how you lead yourself and right. others. That means you are always positioned to go, yeah, I got this. Mm. Yeah, mm. totally can right. get that. Yep, own that. Yep, that's fine. I can lean right into that. I can see it coming. Or I didn't see it coming, but, hey, I'm adjusting so quickly that people mm. will think I saw it coming. Uh, and how you do that again is you learn, you connect and you share. But you do that in a way because your question was also how do we bring that empathy? How do yeah. we get mm. people feeling like we're behind their backs? Um, if you are only doing and they're not they're not linear. You don't learn then connect then you share. They're, they're kind of they're leveraged. They come in together and they allow you to achieve this empathy and they allow you to do it with a future orientation. So if you are t- making the effort, which you guys mm. obviously do uh, yourselves, to go yeah, hang on. If we want to be here, we need to be taking these actions. So what do I need to learn to do that? Mm. Um, but if I need to learn stuff, it shouldn't stop me starting. But I'm going to still learn along the way. Um, so it's this concept of learn for the future. And then it's this concept of, okay, well, I'm doing that. But how do I start to spread and share that? Mm-hmm. What's that connection piece? And then that shared piece is the most critical element for empathy building because I could be learning, I could be helping you to learn, um, I could be connecting really well, I could feel like we have you know, a nice rapport mm. and there's trust and it's all of this. But to really level that up and get to this deep empathy that's actually going to get people to sign on to a future with you, mm. it's around sharing. And it's sharing not just what I think. That's still in tell mode, right? I'm still, in rea- I'm still putting other people reactive. I might become ready and I tell you all this, but I'm still forcing you to react to what I'm saying as opposed to actually shifting too cool. How do I share this with you in a way mm. that helps you start to own it? And us own it together. So this shared accountability to the future. Um, my, my PhD work is around something called psychological contracts, um, which really is just promises. So if you think even in your personal world of the promises that you make, what is a promise? It's us signing up to something in the future together. Mm. So how as a leader do I share in a way that creates a, a promise together, a social promise um, or a personal promise, me, the leader, to to you working alongside me mm. to say, hey, let's promise to do this together. And that's that's us signing up together to something in the future. You can't do that. You can't get people to sign into that without empathy. 
And the minute you do that, you're no longer out front. You're standing beside them and you've got their back and they've got yours when you need it. You start to move into this little dance with each other where you're leading each other. Mm. And do you see through this conversation too, we've stepped off hierarchy. I'm not saying leader position, Mm. follower position. Mm. Um, A leader position is only successful if you're allowing your followers to lead you at points in time. Mm. And again, very different to traditional yeah. management theories. Mm. What's resonating, guys? I can see you like, nodding away. Like, but like, no. Yeah, there's like pennies drop. There's, so, there's so much in, in what you've said. It's been so insightful and there's notes that you've hit on. I'm like, yes, yes, that makes that makes sense. Like, oh, stuff it. Shout out to our manager, Steve, who is one of the best sort of managers that I've ever had because he is truly collaborative. He doesn't feel... Like he doesn't feel like he's your boss. He yeah. feels like he is there to to help you, to ask for suggestions. Like what will make what will make our warehouse better? What will what can we do that to improve this? Good and place, yeah. yeah, like he, he still has has people that he still has to answer to. But he is truly uh, transparent mm-hmm. in. Okay, well, I really push back on them, and you know. I, no, this is not our process, but okay. But I managed to negotiate this, so okay. Well, we'll 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 have to do this now. This process this way, but oh, we won these other sort of different things, you know, because we work in a warehouse, yep. and there's so much coming coming to us because we're sort of the last line of defense, I suppose. So all the sales guys, all the salespeople come down on us, like. All these different people come down on us. Oh, you stuffed up. You did mm. this, but when that happens, he truly sort of Has fights for us Has and and like pushes back. And mm. yes, there are processes that we have to change, but there are other processes that we don't have to change at all because it's not our fault. So mm. it truly does feel like he is there with us. He doesn't feel like he's above us. I love yeah. that as an example of what what share is mm. is truly sharing the accountability of your warehouse yeah. and the decisions behind that and how you want that to be mm. in the future he's truly sharing that with you mm. he's being really transparent around the constraints that you have to work with mm. and within and i think a lot of leaders fear that um you know and it's this fear of having a good conversation right mm. well what if you have a conversation and they say oh, we want to do it this way and i have to say no i'm like so you say, well, we can't do that for these mm. reasons. What else have you got? Like, mm. it sounds like an awesome example. You guys are mm. lucky to have have a manager Steve. like that. Who, shout out to Steve. Um, shout out to Steve. Thank you for letting uh, Dan and Harmon <laughs> lead you as much as you lead them by the sounds of it. And I think awesome. a true hallmark of a manager or AKA a leader is to make themselves obsolete at moments because now you can do your job yeah. and mm. somewhat make the whole organization better. But you also feel like you because of that collaboration it feels like you grow within that that role and that company as well to some degree as well which is future ready yeah like one of my favorite questions to ask um leaders particularly when i'm coaching them um if we're in that sort of relationship i say what are you doing to make yourself redundant Mm, absolutely it's a really interesting Mm. reaction oh oh no i'm not trying to make myself redundant it's like oh yeah you're not leading Mm. what are you doing to make yourself redundant as fast as possible and that frees you up to move on to the next opportunity. Mm. But it gives the space and the freedom for the people around you to step into a future and not get stuck in a present. Yeah. And circling back to what we're talking about, I believe that respect is very big mm. here in this dynamic. Mm. And again, talking about our manager, 
he's never asked for respect, but he's gained our respect mm. without even saying it. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And how does one do that in a situation? How does one do that? Because I believe that if it's a smaller group, it's, I wouldn't say it's easier, mm-hmm. but I'd say it's much more doable than in a massive organization and you're at the top of the dominance hierarchy, right? Yeah. It's yeah. very hard to do that. Yeah. How does one do that? How does one gain respect? I think it's a really uh, interesting question and a good observation to, um, so I would play that back as what we're talking here about is how do I scale leadership without mm. losing respect, without losing a sense of I've got your back without. And, and it's a big challenge that a lot of leaders have as they step up and they're more removed. Because one thing, one time you make a mistake and you lose that, you lose that respect and it's hard to get back up again. Oh, yeah. It's very hard. Hard, hard to gain, mm. easier to lose. Yes, yeah. <laughs> sure. easier, much and easier to lose. to rebuild, yeah. yeah. But you know what? Uh, sorry to interrupt, no. but another thing about our manager is he can sense when there's something off about one of us. If one of us are having a bad day, he'll actually take the time to ask, are you okay? And that's empathy. As well. That's another, exactly, empathy as well. Yeah. Yeah. Steve, you're awesome. I want to meet you, mate. Um, <laughs> and I, I think that... Dan really I mean, looks that, up to him. Oh, yeah. Th- well. But that is an answer to the question that was asked, yeah. right? How do we, how do, how do you as a leader uh, create and then hold on to um, respect? And I get asked this about trust as well. Oh, how, do, how do I, you know, create trust? How do I get trusted as a leader? And my answer is always you trust first. Mm. You respect first. And as we apply that to you, and what, what happens if I scale leadership and I can't, can't I'm not mm. with them every day, I can't show that. It's like you find a way to put that on stage. So mm. the only thing that's happening when we scale leadership is the spotlight on stage is getting narrower. Mm. So when I'm close to a small team or a small business, it's like I, I think of it as on stage and off stage leadership, right? Uh, nobody is going to see the full 360 leader or even mm. human, right? We're the only person who sees every single angle of ourselves. Mm. And most of us are in denial about some of those angles anyway. That's a different conversation. Um, in, the, in the workplace, we only see what we see. So as a leader, think for yourself, what am I putting on stage mm. versus off stage? Mm. And if the stuff that creates trust and respect is sitting off stage, what the hell are you doing? Mm. Put it on stage. And if the stuff that triggers, oh, I'm not sure I trust or respect this person is on stage, get it the hell off that stage. And then the more, the, the more you scale your leadership and the less um, day-to-day accessible you are, what happens is people are just seeing a narrower angle of you. So this is why I use the stage analogy. It's like when we start out and we're first leading teams, we're put on a stage. The stage is floodlit, mm. all, all lights up, often the house lights as well. As we start to, you know, get a bit uh, bigger in our leadership scale, um, house lights go down, some of the side lights go off, the, the sight onto the stage gets tighter. Top of the tree in a large organisation, you're standing in a very tight spotlight mm. and there is nothing but black around you. Mm. What people can see... And what you make sure that they see, it is a strategic decision as a leader. And if it's not, you are reactive mm. to become a, a ready leader that inspires respect, that inspires empathy, that inspires I've got your back. Mm. Uh, you need to make sure that what you put on stage in your spotlight and how you go about doing that. Um, we don't need to be, I often say to leaders, you don't have to be awesome every time, but you have to be consistent mm. every time. Mm-hmm. That's deep. That is what builds trust. That yeah. is what builds respect. That is what builds an element of predictability. Unpredictable leaders, mm. respect and trust just disintegrates yeah. around them. Yeah. We, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So we, we don't, we want a, want a level of predictability around things like mm. trust, respect, empathy. I need to know 
wherever and whenever I see you, I'm going to feel, oh, yeah, you've got me. Mm. And you break that once. If you've got enough trust and respect in the bank, it'll be tolerated. Mm. You break it consistently. You have what's, you know, for the academics and the geeks in the world, we're calling this a psychological contract breach or oh, yeah. a, a break of a promise. Mm. You, I read you, that in your book. Yeah. I did. Uh, but reality and practice, what you're doing is going, oh, yeah, don't trust you. Mm. Yeah, I can't trust you. Thought I could, but oh, maybe not. And it doesn't mean we go, oh, they're untrustworthy. It means we go, oh, yeah, I just can't trust everything. Mm. And it just brings these shadows of doubt in, which just, again, over time, if that keeps happening, we can course correct, again, by going what is in my spotlight and audit what's in your spotlight, right? You're a very bad viewer of your own spotlight. If you're not seeking out, uh, what, what are people seeing? I think I'm putting this on stage, but mm. as, is it actually? Is that what they're seeing? Everyone needs a, a director and a stage manager in the world. Who is yours that you can mm. go to? And it could be a Steve saying, mm. hey, Steve, what do people see in mm. me? Yeah, you know, I work, you know, what does your boss see in me? Mm. If, if, if yeah. he was to describe me, what would he say? Mm. And you can go, oh, that's not what I want on my spotlight. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And you don't realise that while you're actively living your life and do your work, you, I mean, it's always better to ask and you have the third or the fourth um, opinion about yourself. Yeah. yeah. But moving on from mm. that, Leonardo da Vinci said this. He said, poor is the pupil who doesn't surpass his master. Mm-hmm. And I'm nice. I'm a, I'm very big on integrating your deeper, darker shadows and excelling. Yeah. Because I think to my core, I'm a competitive person, mm. and I want to grow up and I want to get up maybe at the top of the dominance hierarchy, if you call it. Mm. How does one in a group of people, if you're at let's say bottom, um, for some reason, grow up? eventually you grow up quickly how does one do that around all leaders and if if let's say i was listening to your lecture if i was listening to all these people motivational people giving lectures um now i want to be a leader too mm. and everyone wants to be a leader mm. given that humans do have a competitive nature yeah wouldn't we be fighting with each other it depends who you are competing with i would say if you are competing with other people you see as potential competitors to a particular leadership role or position Oh, yeah. Then you are reacting. Mm. It's micro. If I say, if I, if you told me I'm competitive with myself, I'd say you are going to be ready. Mm. Yes. And there's a, a there's an awesome awesome opportunity that we've never had before in the world of work currently, and that is the displacement of roles. So depending which research you read, up to eighty two percent of roles today don't exist in 2030. 2030, guys. There's not even a decade away, know, yeah. right? So a lot of people look at that and go, oh, my God, I'm going to be replaced by technology. Mm. And they start to resist things. Mm. Very reactive. Mm. Or they go, oh, awesome, I can craft my own career here. And mm. that's no longer a competition. Who am I up against for? Mm. It's a competition with myself, mm. which gets you to the point of oh, I'm differentiated. And this comes back to our spotlight, right? Are you choosing to have a spotlight on you or are you choosing to have the same spotlight on five other people and hope somebody picks you? What differentiates you? What are you doing to be competitive with yourself? And this comes back to the learn element, right? Learn fast, frequently and furiously mm. for the future. I use that phrase a lot. People often go, what do you mean furiously? I mean furiously compete with yourself. Go, I don't know enough. 
I'm not good enough. Like, you know, it's not in a negative way. Mm. It's a push yourself way to connect to what matters to you. That's what's going to bring meaning to you and trust that that's therefore what's going to differentiate you. Mm -hmm. And then you're suddenly not in a competitive position. Um, you're in a self-improvement, um, well, call it journey because you're what you're doing is you're currently constantly improving 1% or 0.1% yeah. every day, every yeah. day, and it compounds to uh, like a greater number maybe at the end of this year. Yes. And I think that's the whole reason mm. we started the podcast. So I wanted to do this yeah. because I don't think I would be having this conversation in my daily life, yeah. in my normal social circle. I don't think I would be having this conversation mm -hmm. now mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. because of this. I have access to people. Who, and as a 25-year-old guy who probably doesn't know much about much, but now the best thing you can do in that situation is ask questions. Ask questions. Oh, my God. Just ruthlessly ask. ask. Just ask, mm. ask, ask. Ask yourself, ask others. Mm. And then when you think you've got the answers, assume they're all wrong and start again. Mm. I go back and edit these videos and I listen to myself like what the hell am I saying and sometimes a self-doubt that yeah. and immediately after that like this like a cloud of shadow comes through and I just I have to just let it go and I was like no 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 I'm just gonna keep doing this mm. have that amateur mindset and just mm. keep asking questions yeah. till I find yeah. out okay yeah this is my purpose this is my vision and this is my bigger goal that I've want to do in life yeah well it's, it's quite funny because I told Harmon this yesterday that um, I'm a pretty introverted person, but this is the most amount of strangers I've ever talked to in my entire <laughs> life, which is great because I'm actually quite proud of myself that I've actually pushed myself in Do a position it. where I'm doing this. Yes. And I'm not a great talker. I'm a writer. I'm, I prefer conveying myself through through text yeah. <laughs> than actually talking to someone face-to-face, -face. but this has been a great sort of push that you were uh, really need to take every now and again and just trust in yourself as well I think 100%. and what podcast is this what number are you up to this is uh, we're in our 20s now 20s now yeah so if we go I now think we've lost count. Back, so back back to your first one would you <laughs> yeah. say you have um like what's your what, what would you say your currently ability is now to to talk to strangers or to to do the technical order I think we've certainly improved so I think we've become more sort of natural yeah. at it than we were probably when we started let me put this in a very philosophical um, perspective you know how i don't know if you guys have been ever bilingual but since i'm bilingual every time i'm talking in one of my other languages i have a different personality mm. and every time i'm talking in english i have a different personality every time i work i have a different personality every time at this podcast i have a different personality mm. so i right now am in the transition phase of say realizing that i am actually doing this i am actually having a do have a podcast sometimes yeah. someday uh when your mind is on uh, autopilot i literally forget that i do have a podcast at this yeah. moment i'm in the moment of in the phase of transition to realizing yeah. okay this is i'm doing this actually yeah. Yeah, yeah. so um and at podcast 40 is that going to feel and look different to podcast 20 because you're telling me podcast 20 looks and feels different for you to podcast zero 40, I think it's an, a, ne a never ever growing, um, you know, growth that we're we're going through right now. <laughs> right now, like we're probably going to improve tenfold, ten episodes from now. It's it's, yeah. it's just an ever growing process yeah. that it, I think we're getting better as as we go. Yeah. yeah. And my point is, we never get there, right? Yeah. Uh, a lot of people, 
wouldn't have started the podcast mm. because a lot of people, particularly in a workspace where it's got to be perfect and we said before, you know, mm. we don't like failure, we don't like to play, we don't like to experiment, um, they fall into the trap of perfect procrastination, which is perfectionism and procrastination because it's not perfect yet or yeah. I don't have the skills yet or I don't know. No, no. And it's like you've got to be sensible, right? You've got to yeah. start with enough skill that it's not going to completely fail and flounder. You've got to allow space allow space for some error as exactly. well and some floundering exactly. along the way because that's how you learn that's and improve as well. Yeah, Exactly. You know what, guys? I want to shift this focus. I want to take it to Talia. She's, yeah, she's yeah. Oh, no, I feel so yeah, rude. I feel so rude. I've had my dance for the entire time. It's absolutely fine. Talia, talk to us. How, how is working Hi, with friends. Kelly? How are you doing? Good. Good? Are you having fun enjoying listening to our conversation? Yes. Oh, my God. So, obviously, this is an audio, so people can't see, but I'm, like, nodding furiously. <laughs> I'm grinning. I'm so excited. Yeah. Like and as, as context, stuff, Talia works uh, works with me. Yes. So Talia and I'm I Kelly's are, practice um, manager. Yeah. Um, but listening to what you guys were just mm. saying about being willing to get a go and the personal development journey, because I'm a big personal development mm. junkie and so I'm like, yes, yeah. in my chair. This is so exciting. Mm. I'm really proud of you guys. I think it's really cool that you've given it a go mm. and you're improving. Mm. And you found a way to not talk yourselves out of it or not freak yourself out Mm -hmm. because, as Kelly was saying, like so many people would do that and use it as a reason not to start. Mm. Um, When you were saying before we started recording about that that you didn't think about it too much, you just like let's give it a go. Mm. I did the same thing to start a business Mm. eight years ago. And if I had of decided to start a business Mm. I wouldn't have done it but I just went you know what maybe I'll give this a go and see what happens and it's kind of working Mm. (laughs) I Mm. remember a conversation I had with um it was with my dad actually um because I started my business around the same time probably not quite 10 years ago now and I remember very seriously saying to my dad dad I've decided I'm gonna start my own business I'm gonna work for myself he went, you already are. And he walked off. And it was like so not eventful for him. Mm. And I'm like, this was this big conversation and reveal. I'm gonna But he was right. I'd already been working for myself and consulting and running a business for about six months and I hadn't even realized. Um mm. I think there is an element sometimes of, yeah, how do you get out of your own way and just dive on in? Mm. And you don't do that unless you've got yourself to some level of ready, I've got this. Mm. Subconscious or otherwise. And part of this, I've got this, is not I've got this because I know everything about this and I'm now ready to do it. It's I've got this, I know the direction I'm going in and I trust myself to line everything else up that I need for this to work and be successful. Mm. And that comes from two things, and Talia and I talk a lot about this. It's a lot of what we work on with our clients. Uh, habits trump mindset. Wow. There's a big, big focus mm. on mindset. We've got to have a mindset of growth and a mindset mm. of... Now everybody right. goes, oh, I've got a mindset of growth, but they're not learning. They're not growing. Right. But I've got a mindset of growth. I'm open. It's mm. like, well, no, you don't. And the reason you don't is actually because you haven't set up the habits around it. So what I love about what you guys have done is, and you're, you're being successful and you'll continue to grow and you'll continue to be successful because you have a good mindset, yes, but you've supported that with habits. Mm. You're doing it together. You've mm. got a space. You've mm. got routines. You've got cadences. And you've gone, what helps us Mm. So for anyone listening at home, if you're at all going, oh, my God, I don't think I could start my own business, that's cool. Just bring it back to whatever you're trying to achieve right now and go, cool, what habits do I currently have in place that are helping or harming me? Step into whatever it is you're trying to step into. Uh, Forget about your mindset. Forget about your confidence. Forget about do I know enough and actually go, well, what habits are in the way of me getting ready? Mm. Just getting ready to the point of going, yep, I can do this. I've got it. Mm. Not finished, 
don't need to be ready to mm. finish. You just need to be ready to start. Start. Mm. Wow. So that's what big. are your habits around that? Yeah, that's very you, big. And if you don't know where to start, I'd say start with what are your habits around learning, connecting and sharing? And if I set you a challenge and I said, I want you to learn one thing new, connect with someone or something new and share something new every week for a month, Mm. take up that challenge guys Mm. and I guarantee in 30 days you're going to feel more ready and more I've got this Mm. and you're on your way to saying and I own it well you said something about parenting I wanted to just um, touch on that how can parents be better leaders because that's where your journey to look up to as a kid starts that's your that's where it all begins that's where it all begins right true I warned Talia if she put cans on, I'd be throwing to her. We were actually talking. I love the synergy in this because we were talking about um, this just this morning, Talia and I, in context of um, Cole Ellis, who's an expert in the culture space as well, Colin D. Ellis, if anyone's unfamiliar with his work. Culture Fix, awesome. Check it out. Books, podcasts, all the rest of it. Sorry, I'm big on sharing. Please do. Please plug in, people. Check this out. Please. It's part of my share. uh, yeah, he he was passing the comment yesterday of one of the issues leaders have is that as parents they're focused on empowering their children and now they've got empowered employees and they don't know what to do with them. So it's kind of <laughs> they've created their own problem. Um, and so Tyler and I were talking this morning about, yeah, well, what do we do this and how? what is the thinking around parents these days? Do they see themselves as leaders? Because the other example I give is I don't know if you've noticed, um, I forget which brand it is because I'm not a car person, but there's a car ad on TV at the moment that is marketing to children. Gosh. And that is because children are now driving the decisions in some families around which cars to buy. And I don't know about you guys, but my parents would have slapped me sideways when I was a kid if I remotely <laughs> weighed in on something. And I do distinctly remember yeah. being told multiple times, when you earn money, you can weigh yeah. in. Yeah. Until yeah. then, shut the hell up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, Tyler, I'm going to throw to you because we were talking about it. And, um, yeah, well, I don't know, what do, you, what do you think about the question of uh, are parents leaders? It's a tricky one. I don't have kids, so mm. full disclosure. So I'm sure there's going to be parents out there who are like, oh, all right, <laughs> shut up. Um, but I also think that gives a different perspective because mm. you can see it in other families without being stuck in the muck of, you know, the the bedtime, bath time, dinner routine and all the noise that happens that means you're just trying to get from one moment to the next. Um, I feel like it is some of the stuff that we've already talked about is how do you give your kids space to explore and be creative and play and find out who they are Mm. because our default I do it with my nieces our default is keep them safe help them Mm. you know take care of them do it for them and so and so you do it for them or you're trying to hurry them along and and to the next thing and so I really think it is having finding a way to be comfortable to give your kids space and let them do it their way. Mm. And instead of, I read something recently that was like, you know, instead of coming in and going, no, don't do it like that, do this instead, perhaps try going, oh, well, that didn't work. Mm. What else can we try? Yeah. So it still yeah. allows them to problem solve and, mm. and figure out different ways, mm. which also I think is probably a good approach in general, like with mm. your team yeah. or whoever. Yeah. It yeah. comes back to allowing innovation. Yeah. You say, well, that didn't work, yeah. so what else will we do? And it comes mm. back to I don't have to have the answer, I just have to have a good question, right? Mm. You said before, how do we, you've got to ask more questions. As a leader, if you're looking to build, if you're looking to improve your leadership, 
ask more questions. questions. Stop yeah. trying to have the answers and stop getting wedded to the answer. So you also see leaders ask questions when they already have the answer. That's not going to build empathy and trust, mm. is it? It's like, well, I've just spent, you know, shared my thinking with you, but now you're going to do the answer mm. that you wanted anyway. Yeah. Why'd you ask me? Yeah. So there's this element of we have to have to let go. And it's um, you know, I said before how Colin was talking about we focus so much on empowering our um our kids and our employees and they're now holding us to account for that there's also this element well yeah how do we come at it from a view of i need to enable you mm. so as a leader what is my responsibility mm. is my ultimate responsibility to the PL sheet because that's traditionally what it's been and that comes with a whole pile of control and mindset and habit around controlling people and their decisions mm. and their thinking or is my ultimate accountability to enable and facilitate the environment and the conditions and the the ability for you to affect my PL sheet. Mm, yeah. And that's a, that's a big shift for my for a leader. And it's the same question posed to a parent. What outcomes are you after here? Are you wanting your child to follow how you've done it? Or are you wanting to facilitate your child to find their way of doing it? Which is going to get them to a sense of, yeah, I've got this faster. And there's no right or wrong here. And I'm not judging either approach. It's just as as a parent, as a leader, you are in a privileged position to be able to dictate harm or support the habits that other people are creating. Mm. There's only so much I can do by myself. We've said that before. And that comes down to the habits that I surround myself with as well. So I speak with a lot of people who go, I used to be so good at this and then now I'm in this job and this culture and I can't. I'm like, that's not you. It's mm. the culture. Culture is just mm. collective habits. Mm. So as a leader... Um, and as a parent in a household, you're in a privileged position of having slightly more control over some of those habits than the individuals. Mm. So audit them. Yeah. Uh, are the habits I've created in my household, are the habits I've created in my team or my workplace helpful or hurtful to I've got it? Mm. I think as a parent, you need to be a bit aware as well because if you're not, you're just in the in that weird mindset of just providing for your kids at a very basic level that you forget actually you have to nurture them, you have to nourish your kids as well. But Empathy, respect, respect. got you back. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. it's very similar yes. themes, right? Very similar a lot of overlap. A lot of overlap. If anyone's interested in learning more about habits as well, you, you mentioned this before, Harman, with um, just a little bit more improvement every day. James Clear, awesome go-to on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and Atomic Habits is well worth the read. I was going to say yeah. Atomic yeah. Habits, yeah. yeah. Let me ask you this before we wrap this up. Why sh- why should one listen to you, Kelly? Why should why should we? You're no great <laughs> question. I ask myself that all the time. <laughs> you're no Alexander Great. You're no Marcus Aurelius. You're not Muhammad Ali. Nope. Why should why should I listen to you? Why should I think that? Oh well, she she is the one. Have you been a leader? Or like why should I, why should one listen to you? It's a very philosophical question. Yeah, I thought, well, I'll yes. just ask her. I'll just look at And I'll give you ball. my answer. But first I'm going to ask you and Dan, why have you listened for 55 minutes to me? Oh, that's easy. Because <laughs> you hit on a lot of good points, a lot of points that more uh, companies or leaders or managers should should follow to create a thriving, happy environment. And, I mean... Actually, let me ask you one quick question yeah. because you talked about competitiveness. Do you think employee of the month is a good thing for a company? That's a very good question. Because <laughs> that, that actually just occurred to me because when you because it does foster this sort of toxic competitiveness in a culture, I think, when you have 
people sort of, oh, why didn't this person get, well, why did this person get the bigger office instead of me, you know, when there's sort of no, tra- it happens in some workplaces that I've, I've been at before where there's sort of no transparency in leadership, but they're all sort of, oh, they're giving this person this, but they're not, I'm working just as hard as this person. Do, do you think employee of the month is a good thing for, for a company? Mm. I think employee of the month is a tool mm. and its usefulness relies on its execution. Mm. So what criteria is employee of the month appointed by? Mm. How transparent is that? Yeah, exactly. And yeah. is what we do with the employee of the month, are they celebrated and shared and held up as an example mm. and help emulate this? Mm. Or is it, a um, again, driving a... Co- so is are you holding it up and using it in a way that facilitates collaborative worth yeah, towards exactly. a shared goal and their employee yeah. of the month because they're, they've, here's an example of mm. what they've done to fail or succeed towards our shared purpose and they've done that by collaborating others or is it, oh, they're the employee of the month because they hit the most targets. Mm. You see how the, the deployment of the tool is actually yeah. the issue, not yeah. the tool itself. Exactly. And that's, yeah. I it's, can say that about a lot of tools in the workplace, employee of the month it's, being one of them. I guess it's the why, why is it there? Is it, is it to, yeah, exactly. And how, how, the why How's how. it being used? Yeah, yeah it's just, exactly. It's just a what yeah. everyone will recognize Simon Sinek mm. his golden circle and that if you're after a TED talk for Saturday afternoon. Anyway, that was a, that was a slight detour <laughs> from the question that you asked, but that sort of just occurred yeah, to yeah, me yeah. because it's like yeah. there's been issues with certain workplaces I've been at before where there's sort of no transparency with the sort of uh, cult, you know, the sort of the higher ups, I suppose. Yeah. So it feels like you're just another yeah. another number and you sort of yeah. stay stagnant and you're unhappy but... When there is sort of more transparency in leadership, yeah. then that's and when you do collaborate as a team, that's when you feel yeah. <laughs> more call, sort of happy, I suppose. I, I in call the it environment. The, the tick yeah. the box disease that mm. we have at work. We tick the box. Mm. Oh, we've got to tick the box of employee of the month because that's what exactly. companies do. And it's like, kid, we come back to why? What it, are you trying it's to do? So, it's sometimes like, yeah, yeah, how are you doing? Is it a popularity yeah. contest or are you truly like doing yeah. it to inspire people to? Exactly. Yeah. Mm. So it's how, how and why you yeah, do it, exactly. I think is my yeah. answer to yeah. that question. No, that's good. So, that's and good you answer. haven't answered um, why, why are you still listening to me because <laughs> you know, that kind of comes to why should people listen to me? Well, why are you still listening to me? <laughs> I'm going to say you're very good at communicating. I think mm. you have your communication yes. skills. Of course, you have a lot of experience. That's why. And I would say if I were to listen to you and if I were to, um, you know, if I, if I had an organization and if I were to hire you as helping my, better my organization, I would say, like, she does have a lot of experience. She's an excellent communicator. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's that was very interesting. Well, I think, I think you foster a good sort of, um, you know, positivity or, you know, ingest some sort of positivity into a work yeah, culture. True. I think that's what is sort of often missing in, in some environments yeah. as an employee at least sort of, well, is an employer truly communicating with me or are they just laying out their own plan for me to yeah. follow? Yeah. On, yeah. on just on that, I've realised that some workplaces <clears throat> I've worked at, um, the reviews of the employees in an organisation are like, 
versus like one example would be like um it's a like a sort of a toxic i don't actually like that word toxic i don't know why i don't like that word <laughs> it's like a very toxic situation toxic environment and people are very competitive blah 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 and there'll be this play workplace of like man you know what everyone's actually very happy everyone's just satisfied with what they're doing and you know they're the they have a, like a good connection with each other why do you think those two polar things happen sometimes and you must have realized that i'm, I'm guessing yeah yeah uh, and, and I mean, that's a multifaceted question there. There's a lot of things you could point to, but if I if I gave you my most um, the most common cause of that, I would say is the one that everyone's all happy in. It's it's less about the culture and more about the fit of the people into that culture. Mm. Whereas the toxic one, yes, sometimes is going to be because mm. we're driving negative things and dysfunction, and that often comes with change. But more often than not, it's actually because we don't have good fit happening and we don't mm. have good fit happening because we're missing transparency, mm. clear expectation setting, uh, and essentially we're missing a really clear articulation of what is it we're trying to share together here mm. in this culture and share in that concept. I've been talking about share around what are we trying to share accountability for with regards to future and how are we now going to collaborate and connect around that. The clarity around what it is and why we're together and what we together, not just the leaders, mm. agree is going to help or harm that, mm. uh, that is less present in toxic cultures. So, and again, I'm quotating yeah. air quotations yeah, around toxic because yeah. it's an overplayed word at the moment too, yeah. versus, you know, the happy ones. And the other thing I would say is, um, you know, there's no right or wrong culture. Somebody's going to thrive in one mm. that somebody else is going to fail in. You're going to be really successful in one business and go to another and suddenly go, why are all my previous skills and approaches not working? And it's mm. like, well, because you're relying on old habits. You're relying yeah. on old approaches or mm. it's not actually about you and you're just not a good fit. Mm. So there's, there's at a, a very basic human level, we thrive in some environments and we don't thrive in others. Mm. At a, how do we manage these environments? Uh, it, it comes back to not just the leaders, but they definitely are in a position to, to influence it more. Definitely. How clear and honest and transparent mm. are they being around what are we here for? Mm. Why are we doing this mm. together? What do we think that's going to take? And are we holding ourselves accountable to that? Mm. The biggest issue with a lot of, you know, bad cultures or toxic cultures, this is a common question mm. I'm brought in by CEOs to it. Mm. And they go, our culture's not working. And it's like culture doesn't work or not work. It helps you or harms you. Mm. So switch it up to, to help you and recognise that culture is going to change with or without you. And I think this is something that a lot of leaders forget. They think they can control culture. Culture mm. is collective social habits. The academic definition of culture is the shared set of norms and expectations considered appropriate in that group. Mm. That changes as the people in the group change and the context changes. So your culture is constantly changing. All you can do as a leader is try and influence it in the right direction. Tap into the habits and the systems that are propping up certain habits mm -hmm. and behaviours. Tweak those. Create the conditions for everybody else to drive the culture. Leaders don't drive the culture. People drive the culture Contra. together. Only thing a leader can drive is the environment and the conditions by which others are consciously creating culture. Mm -hmm. And that's why this 
overtness in a and a transparency and clarity mm. in a what is it that we're all committing to do together for the future mm. becomes so important, and that's the the main thing I see linking really what we call healthy cultures to unhealthy cultures. Mm. Yeah, that's a good word. Clarity. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> is this clarity in yeah. what is it we're trying to create together, mm. and how how do we believe that we're going to do that mm-hmm. really well, and a preparedness to review and audit that because it changes and we might get it to, yeah, we're really healthy. And you see this all the time. You see really healthy cultures are suddenly not. Mm. And people go, what happened? What happened was Mm. they tried to freeze it in place. I have a Mm. lot of leaders go, I'm trying to protect our culture. I'm like, well, there's your first mistake. Mm. You can't protect something that's dynamic. Mm. All you can do is make sure it keeps growing and evolving Mm. in a healthy way. Mm. And it's very different to traditional management of leaders. I will answer your question um, because I know you said, why should I listen to you? And I threw that straight back to you. I didn't throw it straight back to get a whole pile of compliments. I I threw it back to, um, again, highlight that um, I, I, I can... Yeah, why should you listen to me? You should you should listen to me if it's helpful to you mm-hmm. is my answer. Mm. And it's helpful to you if you're interested in thinking about how do I get to that, I've got this feeling. Mm. If you're wanting insights around the future of work, I'm not a futurist who comes in and says, this is what the future holds. Mm. I'm a psychologist who comes in and goes, this is how socially and psychologically we're evolving right now mm. and the psychology of workplaces is changing right now mm. and I can help you get ready for what you don't know is coming. Go talk to those other futurists for what you do know is coming. They can mm. help you get ready for mm. that. But you can't guarantee that that's going to happen. It's not crystal ball world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what we can do psychologically at an individual and a group level with organisations is we can make sure we are ready and we have the social and psychological resources and the capability and the culture mm. ready for whatever so that we, again, can get to the, I've got this. So um, I would say to somebody, why should you listen to me? I'd probably be going, well, I don't, you know, you should make that choice yourself. But if you're after insights around that, if you're after, um, you know, whatever the practical or the philosophical around that, and if you're wanting to hear that from somebody who um, I think one of the things that I'm told is why people listen to me is I have uh, I have a mix. I've got an academic background. I've got five degrees, very curious person. That's always been for me a driving factor. Mm. And I just like to understand things and I like to understand complex things. And the most complex thing in our world is humans and the human brain. So I've, I've been very interested there. Uh, but I've also got lived experience as a senior executive, as a frontline leader. Mm. Um, I did all of my studies while I was a frontline leader for a large business. I learned to be an employee and how frustrated it is when you're in unhelpful environments and and what that means. I feel like I grew up in the workplace as much as I grew up academically and I can speak now from a point of view that has a level of empathy having lived that that I wouldn't Mm. have had had I only had an academic background. But I also have the advantage of bringing a language and data and evidence to, I mean, that's all psychology is really. I mean, you're, you're humans. You're as mm. much an expert in psychology as I am. The mm. only advantage I have mm. is I have more of a language to put around it. Mm. You and can I, articulate it for people. And often yeah. I have leaders say to me, oh, that's exactly right. I haven't been able to say it like yeah. this. And I go, see, I'm not really that helpful to you. You already know this. Mm. You just can't. I'm helping you verbalise it. just giving you the tools to, yeah. Exactly. And mm. as we're talking today, as a leader, you need to learn to verbalise. Mm. Why? Because you can't talk to people otherwise. And the biggest thing you can do is learn to have an awesome conversation mm-hmm. at work mm. so that you can have empathy, so that you can have someone's back, so that you can connect mm. and so that you can create the conditions and the confidence in them so that they stand there and go, wow, we've got this. <laughs> Thanks. You can mm. go now. 
Oh, I think that's we've got why this. people. Yeah, <laughs> I think we've got there this. Go. Yeah, yeah, that's the why. <laughs> I I was sitting last night and I thought like if I had a company like why would I hire her? So th- I wanted to ask you this yeah. to see how would you say that back to me. So awesome job. Um, Dan, I think if you have any questions, guys, uh, if you want to share anything, um, please tell where people can find you. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Um, www.drkellywindle.com or at drkellywindle on whatever platforms we're on, Talia. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, uh, LinkedIn as well. Um, You can DM me over there and, uh, yeah, reach out, connect, please. Uh, That's the other thing I'd say to to people today is, you know, we think we're being rude or we think we're imposing or Mm. we... You know, we go, oh, no, I couldn't do that. Like you guys just started a podcast. Yeah. Like that's a big thing. Mm-hmm. But for a lot of people, a big thing is actually just reaching out to somebody. Oh, so in the, the challenge that I set you on Learn, mm. Connect, Share, you know, you guys, like, full permission, make me your first connection, mm-hmm. you know, on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Connect with someone new this week. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to be your new. Uh, we, yeah. we hold ourselves back thinking mm-hmm. the other person won't want that, right? Much mm-hmm. like we, we stop asking for help because like, I don't want to impose. Mm-hmm. When does somebody ever ask you for help well, and you say, oh, yeah, you're imposing on mm-hmm. me, go away? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. You got nothing to lose by just asking. Yeah. Like, what's what's the worst that can happen from from that? Either no, or that you just never hear back. Like, yeah, you got nothing to lose just by asking because it may lead to, well, this podcast that we did today. I think it's the most (laughs) practical take out of today. Actually, we keep circling back around to it. Just ask. Just ask questions. Just ask. Mm. Push yourself. Ask yourself. Ask others. Mm. Ask. Yeah. What's it take to? We did our first episode, and I told Dan. I said, "I've always been that guy. I used well when I was a kid. I used to go back to my relatives' house, open their drawers, and see what's inside them. That's how curious (laughs) I have been always. (laughs) And I've always been that curious person. So I just love asking questions." But let me ask you this: since you're since you're on a show called Game of Life, yeah. What is your Game of Life? Uh, it's a very big question, but <laughs> oh, <laughs> I question. Game of Life. What is what my is game your of Game life? of Life? Um, my personal Game of Life uh, is 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 learning mm. for me. Um, I remember my grandpa saying to me when I was a little girl, "I'm like, Grandpa, why are we here?" He's like, you're here to learn. The day you stop learning is the day you should die. <laughs> like dramatic thing to say to a six-year-old. Mm, yeah. But um, it's kind of, kind of stuck with me. And then um, I know growing up my parents um, saying repeatedly, education is the only thing we can give you that can never be taken away. And education is not just school learning. Education is life learning. We're going, you know, we're going on a holiday here. We expect you to learn. Wow. Uh, go and enroll in course. We expect you to learn. You're going to a party. Well, what have you learned? Like where is that that mindset? So for me... Um, that's been I've been raised with that the game of life is not to accumulate money the game of life is not to you know tick all the social boxes of oh yes I got married and I had kids and I, mm. I mean that's great if you choose that I'm sorry that sounded like I was dissing that I'm not dissing <laughs> that choice those are those at all that is a game of life mm. I think that's even a board game game of life <laughs> that particular example but for me the the game itself is 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 to learn and and that for me translates to why to evolve we're not here to just exist mm. we're here to evolve and not just evolve ourselves but to help help others evolve evolve our society to a better place than we were when we were on the plains and fields as cavemen right and um you know again we're entering a more philosophical conversation of where is the world at right now so I'll, i won't take us there on a saturday morning but um <laughs> I, I think for me my game of life is is evolution and for me that starts and finishes with learning learning mm. Awesome. Great. 
Guys, let's wrap this up. It's been an awesome conversation and I really, really appreciate you Thank guys. Thank you, Talia, by the way, Thank for you, organising yes. this. I worked Thank really you, hard today, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a pleasure, guys. Thanks for the Thank conversation. Thank you so much. All right, let's wrap this up.